Well, good morning. My name is Chet. I'm one of the pastors here. We are in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue one in the little rack in front of you. It's on page 35 is where we'll be. If you don't own a Bible, take this one with you. That's our gift to you. But we're in Exodus chapter 20. We are working our way as a church through the book of Exodus, and we are in the Ten Commandments, and we have been taking them a commandment at a time, and we have made it to the Ninth Commandment. Um, When I was probably five, my older brother was eight, and I went to my dad, and I told him of my brother's grievous wickedness to me. I told him what my brother had done and how awful it was, and my dad, like me, knew my brother, and he understood what I was having to deal with. And so he called my brother and I, and he started asking questions. He started trying to find out from my brother what was going on. And my older brother looked at him and said, Daddy, I I didn't do that. That that didn't happen. And so my dad began to cross-examine us. Then he stopped. He crossed his arms. And he said, one of you is lying. And looked at my older brother. My older brother stood there, kept his cool, held his nerve, looked my dad straight in the face and said, it's not me. So my dad looked at me and I said, it's me! (laughs) And screamed and cried for the rest of my life. My dad, at any moment when something was going on, he might go, it's me! I think only if I was in the room to, to feel the weight of that. Uh, and what we're looking at this morning in the ninth commandment is it says to not do that. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. I was lying about what my brother had done. And Exodus 20, verse 16, that's what we're looking at this morning, says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Again, like many of these, it's one sentence, one line. Some of them have only been two words in the Hebrew. And this is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And as we study this this morning, we're going to first look at what does this mean? What is included here? What's what's in mind when we study this passage? What did God have for us to, to not do? Secondly, we're going to look at why it matters. What, what happens to us and among us if we don't follow this? So what does it mean? Why does it matter? And then we're going to ask the question, what do we do with our false witnessing? What do we do with the fact that we are false witnesses? So let's pray and then study this passage together. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would sit under the authority of it. We thank you for your law that teaches us right from wrong, because we need this. And we thank you for your son that rescues us from the weight of the law. And we praise your name today. May your Holy Spirit help us to study this well, to respond to it appropriately, to repent and receive grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Kevin DeYoung, who wrote a book on the Ten Commandments, says that often this gets boiled down to do not lie, and that's certainly included, but that it's more specific than that. And as we've seen with much of the Ten Commandments, it's more specific than that. What this is talking about primarily to the people of Israel is do not lie 
in court cases. Do not falsely accuse. When you are called to bear witness, be an honest, upright witness. And what we've seen as we've studied these is that God gave the Ten Commandments to train the people of Israel what they're to be like as a nation and what flourishing as a human looks like. That God is training us in this is what you ought not to do, this is what you ought to do, and that there's joy in this. I think sometimes we think that rules are bad and that all uh, ultimate freedom is good. And if we're free from any restraints, we're better off. But I think if you were to decide, hey, I'm going to move from South Carolina to a different state. And you knew there was one state that no one followed the Ten Commandments. And there was one state where everyone followed the Ten Commandments. Well, I think I'd move to the state where they follow them. Because a place where there's no murder and no theft and no false witness and no adultery sounds better than there's one where someone says, you know, we break all of those all the time. And the reason we know we needed these, because you might read them and go, yeah, that's, we should have already known that. It's like, yeah, but we do them. So it's good that God outlined for us, don't. This causes problem. But what is primarily in mind here is testimony. That the people of Israel would give honest witness accounts. And if you think about it, eyewitness accounts is all they had. For us, when we have a court case, we want hard evidence. We want fingerprints. We want DNA. We want something on video. We want something that proves it. They didn't fingerprints, the first time that was used in a court case was 1910. The first time video evidence was 1930 in the U.S., and the video evidence was in the U.K. It's 1986 was the first time we used DNA evidence. Prior to that, we had to trust humans to tell the truth. And that was the system that they had. Now, you might could say, we found this item in your tent, but you needed witnesses to testify to that. You needed people to be able to say, this happened, this person did this, and that's what's in mind here. And even with this regulation, they still needed two. Deuteronomy 17.6 says, On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Understanding that one witness could lie could have a grievance, but two, it increases the honesty. Deuteronomy 19.15, a single witness shall not suffice against the person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Jesus has this in mind in Matthew 18 when he talks about church discipline. He says, but if he does not listen, so he says, if you go into someone in sin, you go to them alone, just between the two of you. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. The same kind of concept, which means that the sin didn't have to actually take place in front of three people, but you had to have more people establishing the evidence. Paul references this in 1 Timothy when talking about elders. He references it in 2 Corinthians when he says he's coming to visit. He talks about there's going to need to be multiple, uh, as they settle disputes, there's going to be multiple witnesses, more people involved in what's going on. In Jesus' trial, in Matthew chapter 26, he is accused of many things. But it says, finally, two of the witnesses agreed. And it's at that moment that the high priest says, what do you have to say for yourself? And so that even in Jesus' trial, there was this needing for honest witnesses. And one of the ways they applied it was that there were two witnesses. So certainly, and primarily this means, 
give honest testimony. And that would apply in a very rigid way in a courtroom, but it also applies in a very broad way in life. That we would be people who speak honestly, who give honest testimony about those around us. That we deal honestly with others. And so, the Heidelberg Catechism, which we're going to look at, basically says, it's a question and answer. It was written by Christians to help Christians understand uh, the Bible. The Heidelberg Catechism was written in Germany in 1563. The Catechism is not the Bible, but it's just kind of like a commentary on it. It's trying to say, hey, what does this mean? And so they listed out some categories that I think are helpful for us thinking through the broader implications of what it means to be truthful witnesses. So it says this, this, that this ninth commandment means to never give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not to gossip or slander, nor, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. So as we consider the broader implications, not just if you have to bear witness in a trial, tell the truth, but the broader implications of the ninth commandment, we're going to walk through these categories because I think they help us think. Never give false testimony against anyone. This would be lying under oath. This would be lying about someone when they're up for a job and you're up for the same job and you have the ability to make them look bad. Be honest. This would be not getting mad at someone and making your online review sound worse. This would be being honest about things. Even there, there are certain people who people bear false witness about them and hide sin. So they say they're more trustworthy than they are. We've seen that in many situations where someone's in power and everybody around them is dependent on this person doing well for them to keep their jobs, for them to keep making money, for them to stay in ministry or whatever. And so everybody else bears false witness, not about their wickedness, but about their goodness to try to keep something going. And we're to not do that. It says to twist no one's words. Uh, in my house, I am no longer the one being cross-examined. I have now taken on the role of the cross-examiner. I have two boys. I now hold court periodically when one of them is litigating against the other. And I ask questions. One of the ones that stands out to me uh, recently was my, was probably in the last two years or so, my older son came to me and he said, Ellis kicked me in the head. I said, he kicked you in the head? Yes. And then he went through describing basically how getting kicked in the head works. He pulled his foot back. He like, you know, he walked it all through. I was like, all right. We walked in. I said, Ellis. Ellis is in the room mad. I mean, he looks like someone who would kick someone at this moment. <laughs> I said, Ellis, did you kick Archer? And he said, yes, because he punched me. <laughs> I looked at Archer and the look on his face was, oh, I didn't think we'd find this out. <laughs> I didn't know you'd dig all the way to the bottom of this. And I just looked at him. He was like, ah. Uh. And what he had done was told the truth in such a way that it wasn't really true anymore. And boy, haven't we gotten good at this. Haven't you ever been in an argument? Have you ever been in a situation and you've gone and told someone? Can you listen to what they said to me? You don't, you don't mention what you said to them because that's irrelevant to them understanding how terrible this person is. That's the point of the conversation. This person is bad, not I'm also bad. Why would I be talking to you about that? 
but we leave out what we've said, what we've done. Sometimes, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, sometimes it's just because you are blind to how sinful you are. Sometimes it's on purpose. We do this. You're, you're wanting to make a decision. But you know the Bible says things like, in the multitude of counsel, wisdom is established. You know that we say you should make decisions in community. You should talk to the people around you who know you, who love you, who understand your idolatry. Like you should discuss these things with people. And so you're going to go talk to some people, but you already have a decision that you want to make. You go have an hour-long conversation with someone. They say for 55 minutes of that conversation, I'm not sure this is a good idea. At one point, they say, I do kind of understand what you're saying there. That makes sense. And then you leave, and the next person you talk to, you say, I talked to Sarah, and she said, this makes sense. And they go, oh, well, if Sarah thought it made sense, then it probably makes sense. Boom, two, this makes senses. And we've twisted up words, and we're not dealing with integrity. And it's something to consider how we present ourselves and how we present others. It says not to gossip or slander. So let's take gossip on its own. Gossip is repeating stories that may or may not be true. Might be true. You say, well, that's not a lie. Might not be true. But gossip is also us repeating stories that we usually have no business in at all, or certainly no business in repeating. We're talking to a person who we should not be talking to about this, or we're uninvolved at all. And we say things like, now, I don't know if this is true, but, and then we share something we shouldn't share. Now, if it's true, you might say, well, that's not bearing false witness. So I'm out of the Ten Commandments on a technicality. But it's also a way to sin with our words and to be unwise and un non-integritous in our words. So I think it's worth considering. So, um, Proverbs 18. We're going to look at Proverbs a good bit because it has a lot to say about how we use words. But Proverbs 18.8 says this, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Don't you appreciate how the Bible's honest about stuff? Don't you like hearing some? Well, that's why we call them juicy. That's a juicy story. It's fun to share. Your little heart beats faster. When someone whispers, hey, come here. You're like, oh, this is going to be good. Hey, can I, did you hear about him? No, I didn't hear about him. You lean in. Nobody's ever been like, I heard. I don't know if this is true. I heard his grades are really good, and he's doing well at his job. He'd be like, why did I lean in for that? That's like, that's like something his mom would put on a bumper sticker. This isn't whisper-worthy. That was, that was not worth hearing. Because we don't want, like, okay, neat. I will not repeat that to anyone. I don't care. But if it was something negative, oh, I don't know if this is true, but he was seen... I don't know if this is true, but work's been suffering and people think. And it's delicious. Give me some more of that. Sadly, it's one of the best ways for you to make friends with somebody. It's to share gossip and secrets about somebody else. Proverbs eleven twelve. 
It says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Now, certainly that could be belittling them in front of them. It can also be belittling them behind them. It could be honest or dishonest. But what it says is, it's dumb. So close your mouth. Isn't that helpful? There's a, oh, there's a proverb that is attributed to every notable person, so it, who knows where it came from. But it says, a lie has traveled halfway around the world while the truth is still pulling its boots on. Or the version that I like better is, the lie is still traveling halfway around the world while the truth is still getting its trousers up. <laughs> but it just is, these stories travel. And the other ones aren't worth repeating. It's like, yeah, okay. That's why when there's gossip, it's on the headline. And when there's a retraction, it's at the back of the nobody cares. We were wrong doesn't sell papers. We need to become people, and this needs to be a church that is unsafe for gossip. It is extremely easy to kill gossip externally. It is difficult internally to, to jump the hurdle of being the person who does it. But one person in a group of 20 can stop gossip You've been in a place before where it happened. And because we're sinful, we hated it. Uh, you start sharing something and someone goes, I don't think we need to be talking about this. I don't, I don't think this is helpful for us to discuss. I don't think that's, we have any information on that. And even if that is true, we shouldn't, I don't think this is, let's talk about something else. I, um, I count calories periodically because if I don't count calories, I eat all of the food. But if I count calories, I eat a normal adult male version of food, and that's fine. It's not as much fun, but I do that. If I'm counting calories, if you've ever done this, if you've ever dieted or anything, and you decide one day suddenly, you know what, I'm just going to eat this piece of cake, I'm going to eat this donut, I'm at this place, I want to eat five cookies, leave me alone. And you've got one in your hand, and someone you know is near you, and they say, aren't you on a diet? I thought you were counting calories. Or as Spencer will say to me, is it bulking season? <laughs> and I'm like, let me eat my 20 chicken strips in peace. <laughs> what you want to do is murder that person. <laughs> because they've taken a delicious morsel and they've reached out. And that's the way we feel when we're partaking in gossip and someone says, hey, aren't we Christians? Shouldn't we to not do this? And you go, mm. so let's be people who do that. And let's be people who thank people who do that. Let's go. Thank you. We were about to do something we shouldn't have done. I'm not telling you to be people who walk around keeping up with other people's diets. I'm just giving that as an example of how it feels. But let's be people who do this with gossip. Hello? I said some really important, helpful stuff just then. <laughs> Y'all missed it. But let's be people who also thank people who do that, who say, who say that was good, we needed that, that, let's grow in this. All right, slander. 
Slander is repeating stories that aren't true. Making up your own stories that aren't true to, to um, make someone look bad. It's very easy for us to do on Facebook and Twitter and however you repost a TikTok. But we just hear a story and we repeat it. And if it's about people we already don't like, it's obviously true. So people will say things to you like, did you hear what they're doing? Oh, it's going to be so evil. Who is it? Biden, Trump, Disney, DeSantis? You just tell me. I'm ready because I know they did it. Is it California or Texas? Who are we mad at? We know they did it. And they'll say, did you hear this? Did you hear what they're trying to do? Did you hear what they're going to do to the kids? Did you hear how they took the kids? And then it's like, and we're ready. And we need to be as Christians, people who verify information. We need to be as Christians, people who say, I don't know enough about that to talk about it. I don't know if that's true. And just adding the tag of I've heard, but I'm not sure it's true. I mean, that helps a little bit in repeating some of these things. But we need to be people who help verify, who help promote honesty and not just blasting stories out there into the world that may or may not be accurate. And until you grow in discernment, you can do what Proverbs says and keep your mouth shut. If you're like, I don't know how to verify things. Cool. You know how not to repeat something. Nailed it. Proverbs eleven twelve says this, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Next verse, 13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. It's not ungodly to just say, I, I'm not going to talk about that. That's between those people. That's a situation I'm not involved in. That's a thing. I wasn't a part of that church. I wasn't a part of that situation. I don't work at that job. I don't know that person. I'm just keeping a thing covered because it's not mine to uncover. The next one, condemning without a hearing. I think this is helpful for them to include as a way that we would bear false witness about someone. Y'all, I'm good at this. I don't like bragging but I'm very good at condemning without a hearing because I know why you did what you did. And some of you are also good at this. You know why they did that. I actually will start sentences that way. You know why they did that. <laughs> and people will go, no. And then I'm so clever because I'm glad to be able to help reveal to you why they acted in such a way. <laughs> and it's never nice. You know why he did that. He was probably out being generous and serving the poor. That's why he hasn't responded to your texts. He's great. That's not what we do. And if you don't repeat it to other people, you certainly do it in your head. I was recently not invited to a thing. I know y'all are shocked to hear that. And I thought about it. And I came up with reasons why I wasn't invited. I wasn't shocked to hear it. There are probably reasons why I wouldn't be invited to a thing. I just thought about it. Came up with reasons. There was a reason. It was that my invitation was actually lost in the mail and, re and it arrived several weeks later. That was not one of the things I had come up with. <laughs> and in general, when we condemn without a hearing, that's what we do. We come up with something negative that's baseless in general, usually plays on our own fears about ourselves. So that's a nice little insight to your own heart. 
Figure out what reasons you use. If you use the reason that they're the worst, that gives you a little insight. If you use reasons like I'm the worst, that gives you a little insight. But we do this. We condemn without a hearing. Someone doesn't talk to you. They don't respond quick enough. They don't invite you. Uh, You find out about a thing. You see pictures of it on Facebook. And all you do is you come up with a whole bunch of reasons. This has happened to you, some of you, this very morning. I know that I have been a primary cause of this because my thinking face for a long time has been this. And some of you have been accosted by this at a distance. I was just thinking, but you happen to be in my line of sight. Maybe on the very off, unfortunate chance, you waved at me and I didn't notice. And then I just stared at you. (laughs) And then you rode home going, I know why he's mad at me. (laughs) Or you rode home going, what a jerk. Just depend on how you think about things. I wasn't mad at you. It's genetics. And I've actually worked really hard by growing my hair longer than I want it and practicing holding my eyebrows up. (laughs) But this is a thing that happens where we, we come up with reasons, we condemn someone for what they did, why they did it, and it colors in reality for us. And we've bared false witness, maybe verbally, maybe internally, but it's a problem. So three quick, helpful steps. Number one, keep your mouth shut. Can't bear a false witness if you aren't talking. And that's really practical and really helpful from the Proverbs. And some of us just need to grow in that. Just learning how to go, hmm, hmm, hmm. I'm going to take a walk. Uh, you can practice this by helping other people. You can, you can be unsafe for, the go- for gossip. You can, uh, one of the things is people will say, I don't know if I should be telling you this. And that can be a key phrase for you to go, well, then don't. You don't get to hear the thing, but you do get to watch someone try to slam on brakes on something that they really wanted to tell you. And that's fun in its own way. (laughs) We can learn to assume the best. If on the bell curve of why you weren't invited or why they looked at you like that or why whatever, they took six minutes to respond to your text. If on the bell curve of really good, fine, helpful, understandable reason. They're mad at me. We've got drama and conflict, whatever. Most of us guess over here. And one of the things we need to grow in is learning how to go, if this concept is true, it's also possible it's this. And to be able to go, you know what? They didn't look like they were doing well today. They seemed mad at me, but maybe they didn't sleep well last night. Maybe they ate something that disagreed with them today. Maybe they have a lot of stress and things going on that I know nothing about. Maybe it was somewhere over here, which I'll tell you, most of the time it is. The third thing to do is to talk to people, not about people. We talk to people, not about people. And y'all, Our church has by and large been very good at this, and I'm thankful. One of the reasons we have as much joy and fun and friendship and love in this church is because we practice talking to people, not about people. And we cannot lose that. When Jesus mentions this in Matthew 18, he says, go to them, 
He starts off the passage we read where you get two or three witnesses as if they won't listen. But you go just between you and them. So if someone starts talking to you about someone else, your assumption is we're on step two of this process. So you immediately ask about step one. What did they say when you talked to them? And if they respond, I have not talked to them, then you say, we are not on step two. Stop talking to me. You have to talk to them. Well, I need you to help me think about this. No, you do not. Because we would be disregarding what Jesus has said, and I am not involved in this process yet. You need to go talk to them. This means, Christians, just talking to your group about a thing, just talking to your best friend in your group about a thing, just talking to your therapist about a thing is not sufficient for how we are supposed to address one another who belong to each other in Christ. That we are to talk to them, not about them. And I will tell you what happens, and this is why it's wonderful, and this is why we've had so, uh, so much joy and fellowship and delight in our church when we practice this. Option one, you go to them and say, why are you mad at me? I'm mad at you. Why did you do this thing? Whatever. And it immediately sorted out because they say, I'm not mad at you. Or I didn't do that on purpose. I did that to you. I said that to you. I didn't mean that. How did I do that? And they immediately, it wasn't malicious. It wasn't evil. It wasn't aimed at you. They said, yeah, I said that, but I wasn't talking about you. And I probably shouldn't have said what I said, but it wasn't about you. Like, I just was, and y'all sort it out quickly. Option two, they say, yeah, I'm mad at you. Yeah, I did that on purpose. And then guess what? Y'all get to operate in the gospel, which says we belong to each other, which says that Jesus Christ paid for our sins. So therefore we're forgiven and we can forgive Jesus reconciled us to the Father, which means we can be reconciled to each other. And then y'all grow in love for one another, devotion to Jesus, and your relationship becomes stronger. Option three is they lie, and that's on them. You should still do what you're supposed to. And continue to follow up if you're pretty sure they're lying about it. Keep your mouth shut. Assume the best. Talk to people, not about people. We do those three things. This will be a delightful place to be. Your life will be better, too, just if you walk around assuming the best of other people. It just makes life better. So that's what is in mind. That's a helpful way to consider what kind of things would be covered in this command. Why does it matter? What happens if we don't? I think one of the things that I have personally been most interested in as we have studied the Ten Commandments together is seeing how destructive to the broader community and the broader culture all of these are if we don't practice them. That if we don't train children who obey their parents, that causes problems. That if we don't, if we murder and steal and commit adultery, how much mistrust and fear and wasted energy is put out into the world through that. So it's been helpful to see how that affects broader culture. People who lie keep people who shouldn't be in positions in positions, take people out of positions who should be in them out, and potentially put people in jail that shouldn't be in jail. That's a broad cultural problem. But this one shows up on a micro scale in a way that these other ones don't. Your community group could practice 
breaking this commandment together on a regular basis. Whereas you probably could not practice, I don't know, murder together on a regular basis. Or if your group was like, yeah, we're like out there in the connect area, you're talking to me afterwards, I'm like, yeah, you should join this group because they've been losing a lot of members recently because at the last three meetings, people were murdered. <laughs> they got to fill some seats. You probably wouldn't join that one. But this one can show up and create disharmony among the people in this room in a way that the other ones, if they were here, would be noticed, addressed, walked through. This one can just hang out sometimes. And that's a problem. It's ruinous and destructive to community. There was an overpass in West Columbia that was on 26. It was where uh, Lee Part was, um, and they were fixing it. And when they went to fix it, sometimes when they're fixing stuff, you're like, did you just get a deal to make some money? What are you doing? Why are y'all fixing this? This is fine. This one, some of the concrete had fallen off. You could see rusted rebar on the bridge. And when they started fixing it, you thought... Good, someone needs to fix that. I'm glad y'all are doing this because that looked bad. That's what gossip and slander and whispering does to community. It just corrodes, it just tears up, and eventually you just can't exist on it anymore. It just destroys. It wears away at the foundation, it takes things out, and then we can't exist. That's what Proverbs 16:28 says. A dishonest man spreads strife. So where there's lying, there's strife, there's difficulty, things are stirred up, and a whisperer separates close friends. That genuine, loving relationships have been broken up because of this. People have left churches, left friendships, left community groups because of this. Gossip and slander and whispering because people talked about people and not to people. And it's not okay. God hates someone who stows dissension among brothers. It's wickedness. And if we don't learn to talk to people, there are times where you've sat, someone was being kind to you, and you've thought, they're so fake. Look at them pretending to like me when I really already read all their thoughts and know how they dislike me. And I just want to put this in your mind. Do you know who's fake in that scenario? It's got a high potential, it's not them, it's you who's smiling and nodding along while telling yourself how wicked they are and we need to grow and be people who will not allow this sort of thing to take place. Proverbs 26, 20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. If we learn to stop this, it's a sweeter place to be. But it's not just destructive and ruinous for community. It's also destructive and ruinous for your own soul. To be a person who does this, who breathes out lies about others, or who bears false witness about ourselves all the time, living a long life lie where we're just lying about who we are, it's destructive. It destroys the communities we're in, and it destroys our own souls. Proverbs 19.5 says, A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. By God's grace, by God's goodness, this will happen to false witnesses here. Because the eternal reality of this statement is it is true. 
So if you are an excellent gossip, slanderer, false witness here, and you never get caught, it doesn't mean you never get caught. You just face it on judgment, on what the Bible refers to as the day of wrath. And so by God's grace, this is surrendered here. It's escaped here. It's owned up to here because there will be a day when we stand before a righteous judge and we will not escape. Here we can become a punchline or a pariah. We can be the person that everybody goes, yeah, well, you know, you got to take everything they say with a grain of salt. Yeah, that can't be true. Who, who told you that? We can become that and maybe people still put up with us or we can be the type of person that no one will have around or more dangerously for our soul, we can be the type of person who succeeds at this year after year after year after year after year and then stands before the king. In Romans 2, talking about God's grace and his forbearance leading us to repentance, Paul says this. He says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, meaning you are unrepentant, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We're studying the Ten Commandments so that God might help us understand so that we might understand from him what is right and what is wrong and what is good and how we ought to live. But I want you to know something. The law has no power to save you. All it can do is testify against you. The law can drag you to court. The law can condemn you, but it cannot rescue you. The law can convict you. You can sit here right now and know that I'm guilty of this. I've done this. I twist words. I lie. I gossip. I delight in it. It's delicious to me. And you can see that. And all the law can do is say, gotcha. Welcome to destruction. The good news, and that's why it's called good news, of Jesus is that he has the power to save Jesus was accused falsely. He was delivered up falsely. He was executed in part due to false witnesses. But to the glory of his name, he didn't just die because of false witnesses, he died for false witnesses. He died to rescue sinners. He died to justify the ungodly. He died for his enemies because he's good. So what do we do with our lying? What do we do with our slander? What do we do with our gossip? By God's grace, we lay it down here and don't carry it there. And we let Jesus carry it so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be rescued, so that we might be redeemed. We need to repent. Some of us need to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, I'm bad at this and I need your grace and I need your forgiveness and I need your rescue. And then we need to go talk to a person and say, I've been talking about you, but I need to talk to you. 
I've been spreading a story I shouldn't spread. I've been saying things about you as if I was trying to sort it out, but I had no real intention of talking it out with, with you. I had no real intention of reconciling with you. I was just talking about you. I need you to forgive me, and I also need us to work this thing out. And this will be a more joyous, delight-filled place because we'll be people who are practicing and walking in the goodness of the gospel together. Let's pray. Lord, we confess. We delight in gossip. We want ourselves to look good. We wickedly accuse others. And we ask for grace. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would witness and minister and that there would be surrender and repentance. But there's some people in this room who have been lying for a long time. And they have some lies, Lord, that they have told themselves they'll have to take to their grave. They have some lies that they've told themselves they'll have to just keep forever because no one can ever know this. Oh, but God, you take their lies to the grave. You take our lies to the grave so that we don't have to. And so we praise you for dying for false witnesses, and we ask that we would rise again in the glory of your forgiveness, that you would justify the ungodly, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would work right now to convict, to convict now so that there might be hope and forgiveness and repentance so that they will not carry it to judgment, but that you would on the cross. And we ask this in Jesus' name, the only name that has the power to save. Amen. The band's going to come back up. And if you need to talk to the Lord, if you need to repent, if you need to confess, do it. Don't try to escape this moment. Don't try to run and carry forward with a lie. Don't go back out into spreading this in our church. And may we be a people who, by God's grace, he works among us for our good and his glory to the praise of his grace.